Okay, so continuing part two of the movie's discussion in 1989. I may have to stop intermittently. My dog's doing pretty good, but she makes sometimes like a outcry tension or outcry for something. And if I'm sitting right next to her and petting her the whole time, she doesn't like that either. So it's kind of a fine line. Um, so right now I'm just kind of settling for like pretty good eye contact with her. And I'll go pet her every couple of seconds. But uh, like I say, if I'm sitting there petting her the whole time and talking to her or just sitting there, she just kind of um, gets a little uncomfortable with that too. But uh, yeah, she's resting, having a good day. And we're going to talk about movies of January of 1989, about movies of a specific year. And it ends up being kind of weird because you have so many associations and things and what was really going on in different lives at that time and things. But when you talk about a year like 1989, there were just so many movies, so many big uh, times at the video store. The t- 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 titles are so familiar sometimes, if, even if I don't know what they are. So it's something fun to do. And this is a movie made by MGM. Continuing off, we had left off on uh, Gleaming the Cube. We had left off on um, all the movies that were in the part one of this uh, video, audio. And that would be... Um, when I was telling you about all these movies, uh, which was um, uh, look covered here. Um, what I covered here in the first part was um, January '89. It was the movies that came out in January of '89, and it was Deep Star Six. And I went over that. I don't know why I'm reviewing this with you all. It just it's just the next ones, but Deep Star Six, Cameron's Closet. The experts in Gleaming the Cube, and now I'm going to discuss The January Man. And this is a movie that I refer to as Just Desserts. Um, when you think about The, the January Man, it was... A, um, I thought Lawrence Kasdan was involved. Oh, no, that's... um, Don't Tell Her It's Me, or I Love You to Death. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't, I Love You to Death... Don't Tell Her It's Me is a Gutenberg one. I Love You to Death is the Kevin Klein one, and that's awful, and that's, I think, a Lawrence Kasdan movie. Let me just verify that. But uh, I don't think Kevin Klein. there's ever really been a more overrated actor, um, and there's never really been a more overrated movie, such as... Um, uh, uh, a Fish Called Wanda. I think gross movie. I think it's a really bad taste movie, and um, I don't really like the movie whatsoever and I don't really like that he won the Oscar for it in a role that's just disgusting and I don't really like that um oh you know he got all this like great career blessings because of it all but he never really did any great other movies in my opinion I mean Dave's good but could have been better with someone else I feel um but yeah I'm one of the only people that's a basher of Kevin Klein and this movie made production executives bash him, I'm sure, as well, because it's a very, very, very poor movie um, called The January Man. I used to always want to rent it from the video store. One time we actually did rent it, and it was like, oh, my God. I didn't think I ended up watching it on like on purpose just so I could see if it was good or bad, and it was bad, bad, bad movie. Bad movie. Um, basically, a Manhattan socialite, murdered and it's just a gone to Lamont's Nick realizes that the previous murders occurs on dates that are prime numbers 
the January Man, I guess, had something to do with this or that. The song Calendar Girl plays a part in it. You got Kevin Klein, Susan Sarandon, Mary Elizabeth Master, Antonio, Harvey Keitel, Danny Aiello, and Rod Steiger, and Alan Rickman, even. I'd say it's like career-versed performances all around. Um, it doesn't know what it wants to be. Zany, violent, satirical. Um, some guy named uh, T.S. Eliot called April the coolest, cruelest month, but when he hadn't seen The January Man. This is billed as a mystery with romance and a comedy. It is a damp sock of a movie that makes you wish for a leap year. I've never heard of a damp sock of a movie. It's kind of funny. Rita Kempley wrote that. Washington Post. The film's box office gross. Shockingly, it made $4.6 million. I don't know anyone that saw that movie in theaters. And to think that it made more than Gleaming the Cube is actually shocking to me. In fact, I would look into those numbers. I've got to go all the way back to look at this now and then figure out really if it did make that money or for own stuff. I don't know if it did make that money. Honestly, I don't remember. I live you did. I don't remember the January Man in theaters. I remember I live you to death in theaters, but I don't remember the January Man in theaters. In fact, I've almost gone on a limb and say that it didn't come out in theaters, but uh, it says that it did. So we'll we'll go with that. I guess. Let's see here. John Patrick Shanley wrote it. He would write uh, Moonstruck. I believe he directed. Uh, Joe vs. the Volcano, and he directed Doubt. If someone else would have directed Doubt, it would have come out a lot better. A lot better. It's a good movie, though, as it is. One of the best, but uh, the directing is not the strong part of it. Alright, now I'm on January Men Box Office Mojo. I literally don't think it made this money. I think that they're just kind of bullshitting it. Yeah, I'm right. It's the first two weekends it made 3.25 million. I don't remember it being out in theaters. In fact, I I always call this into question, but I mean, I don't know. What theaters? 876 theaters? Yeah, right. That's actually a lot of theaters for that kind. I don't think this happened. I don't know. It's almost like, could they fudge these numbers to make it look like it's made more money than it did? What would be the goal in that? By the third week it's out, it's pulled from theaters, I believe. Yeah. Well, that brings us to our next movie. Conan Tate opens in five theaters and just completely flop when you're in 75 theaters. But your numbers could skew good, then you could get a wider release. However, Conan Tate never really got that. It's kind of stars an actor that I've become more familiar with him. I always thought he was a Baldwin brother, but he's not. His name is Adam Baldwin, though. I mean, pretty damn good actor. I mean, doesn't really ever, uh, you know, sometimes people don't look good on camera. Sometimes they have a bad role in a movie. I haven't seen him play a part where he, like, stands out as native. So I quite either don't notice him a lot of times when he's in movies or that he does good. I think he's somewhere in the middle. Uh, but in this particular movie, I've been wanting to watch this one with him. And it's called Cohen and Tate. And Hemdale Corporation made it. I believe basically um, Adam Baldwin takes Roy Schotter hostage, but there's more to it than that. And there's all sorts of different... And Eric Red wrote and directed it. I mean, so Eric Red would make body parts a couple of years later. And all sorts of different fucking cool shit. 
Um, it's a, based on an O. Henry short story, The Ransom of Red Chief. I guess I should probably, I definitely have read that story before, but I don't want to look into it really until I see the movie again. Uh, Cohen and Tate was released on Shout Factory. Look back at Cohen and Tate. Offers interviews and even a commentary track with Erica Red. Eric Red. And considering that Eric Red, I mean, not in the best health. Um, turn his, you know, I, I know he had gotten in an accident and he's doing better now. But yeah, man, just uh, totally, totally interesting stuff. Conan Tate, I definitely want to watch that one. Harley Cross is the other person that plays a big role in it. And over time, he's become less of an actor, more involved in other stuff. But he was in Someone to Watch Over Me, a bunch of other movies. Don't know exactly what I know him best for, but um, he's definitely a late 80s actor. Cohen and Tate. So this looks like a crime mystery type movie. Uh, as the studios that were making it was dissolved, it basically became part of MGM. Eric Red says that the some of the inspiration for the film was John Ford's The Searchers. Well, I'm really interested in checking that one out. Cohen and Tate. So how's everyone doing out there? Hope everyone's doing well. If you'd like to email or correspond with the show, go ahead and email at B, as in boy, B as in boy, Q, N, T, W, K, at gmail.com. That's B as in boy, B as in boy, Q, N as in Nancy, T as in Tom, W, K, at gmail.com. Email us with show ideas. Email me with any questions. Email me with anything else. I will be happy to talk about it here on the Mr. Majestic Mr. Matinee Network. Thank you so much. I'll go to the next one. The next one is one that a lot more people are familiar with than the other ones. Let me just make sure I'm doing this right. Okay. Sometimes the page won't reload. Oh, let's see if it will reload. Okay. Talking about movies from 1989. Next on the list. We have three more to cover. Parents is the next one. Parents is the best drawn pictures for release. And this was promoted a little more heavily than um, some other kind of best drawn films at the time. This was a fun movie. Um, I remember enjoying it as a kid, but not seeing it in years. You know, very, very dark comedy. Um, something about chemicals and all this stuff. And Mary Beth Hurt's in it, so I wouldn't mind rewatching that. Sandy Dennis is in it. Graham Jarvis, directed by Bob Balaban, who plays the father in uh, Ghost World, and he plays in. 2010. He plays in a lot of movies through time. Dad was a movie studio executive, so not a surprise he was able to find a way to be an actor in film. 
The film Parents was filmed in Toronto. He directed it. I don't know how much more Bob Alavan had directed. Um, I don't know if he's in it either. Let's see here. I don't think Bob Alavan has a big part in it. But yeah, he's in Gosford Park. No, he produced Gosford Park. He may have been in it as well. But yeah, he's from the Balaban family. I don't know if he directed much else. I don't think he did. Okay. You don't hear anyone really talking about parents. Kind of a dark comedy. Failed poorly commercially. Mixed reception for critics. And made about a million and cost three million. The next film I'm going to discuss is one I'm a little more familiar with. And that is physical evidence. Now, Columbia seems like they're having just a dickens of a time right here. Deep Star 6 flops with TriStar. Uh, physical evidence. Find out, but I think it made very little money. So, and I was, I was going over Columbia the other day for something else. They, they really had a lot of um, flops in these different eras. Tap, we'll talk about in future episodes. That one's a flop. Lawrence of Arabia reissue, I don't think that was really worth its time. Um, True Believer, that flopped. Like Columbia was really struggling in this era. Like I say, we'll talk about these um, movies more in detail, but I wanted to give everyone a little bit of perception about what was going on with Columbia at the time. I mean, a couple months down the line, they got Baron Munchausen. That didn't work out very much as well, and that was a split production there. Oh, yeah, with uh, physical evidence. Um, Michael Crichton's actual director. He directed. What else did he direct? Coma. Oh, what a cool guy, man. He's a writer and he started to direct. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, pretty awesome shit, man. So. In terms of what he directed, he wrote and directed Westworld. He directed Coma. He directed the fir- first great train robbery, Looker, 1981, and Runaway. Runaway is the uh, more famous. Looker, I'd like to see it. I'd like to see Looker. But it flopped. This was Alan Ladd Company's first bigger productions. Was not a success, critically or financially. But yeah, I mean, Coma was a hit for Michael Crichton. Um, but yeah, physical evidence. I didn't realize that he had directed that one. Another one that stars three era is um, directed by a woman who I knew, Sandra Locke. I got to know Sandra Locke because I really enjoyed some of her performances, wanted to know more context about her directing career. And one of the most underrated movies of all time is Impulse, which I don't know why I don't own that. A lot of times I'm looking at these lists, it's like, damn, how do I not own all these movies that I really like? Is I, I mean, it's just a problem to own everything. I started watching Physical Evidence a couple of years back. It didn't really hold up as well as it used to. But um, it didn't really, oh my god, 
not only did it flop, it flopped horribly. It cost seventeen million, probably even more than that, and it made three point five nine and three point five million. Jesus Christ! Sometimes when you look at this, it was conceived as a sequel as Jagged Edge. Um, and they said they want to make sequels. They got um, Burt Reynolds, who had just come off of making Switching Channels with the same producer. It was filmed in Boston and in Canada. Teresa Russell recalled later that her part was a little more difficult than I thought it would be, being someone who has that control. Oh, being that in control. So she, I don't know, really specific stuff here. Well, that's cool. There's an interview, but yeah, her character was harder to play, and Michael Crichton helped her, and others. So, Chicago Tribune called it a feeble thriller, the worst case of filmmaking by numbers, reflecting not an ounce of commitment or conviction. I don't disagree with what I that with that in the last, you know, several hundred uh, days ago when I saw it. It's definitely not that good to begin with, but it could be. I, I need to see it again. Final one we'll discuss here on this little session of January 1989 movies. Coming up right around here is... The Three Fugitives. Just Three Fugitives. This movie is a remake of a movie that I really want to see. Called Les Fugitives. With Pierre Richard, Gerard Depardieu... Nick Nolte plays the Gerard Depardieu role. Martin Short plays the Pierre Richard role. And a lot of the Pierre Richard comedies Francis Weber directed and others have been made into successful films. Um, Pure Luck was less successful, but it was also Martin Short. Um, but that was one of them as well. Lawrence Donner produced this. So this movie does some definite... Like, big- yeah, it actually made $40 million. I didn't know that till right now. I really didn't know that it made forty million. What did it open at? Because I saw it opening weekend. I really like the setting, the Seattle or Washington area. I think they did a good job of kind of um, showing the setting and everything. I think Bruce McGill does well with this small role. Um, Alan Ruck and James Earl Jones. You know, so all, all around, really good cast. Um, I really think it's an underrated film. Opens at six point four million. What did it do? Because I don't see it after that. Oh, and then it stays at number one the next weekend. 5.4 million. Beats out movies I'll discuss on the February one. Wow. Head to head, it just was really a big hit with uh, the other comedies that were out at the time. I'll have to name those more specifically. But it's really weird when you think about it. Three Fugitives made 5 million three weeks in a row. But then it cuts off. That's fine. I want to be... I'm shocked that Three Fugitives made two and a half times its budget and no one ever talks about the movie. It's like it never existed. It's one of Martin Short's biggest hits. Or was it a big hit? It's a bigger hit than Captain Ron. 
I'm confused. Definitely not um, I'm, I'm straightforward about this. It's kind of strange, to be honest. But uh, other good things about the movie, uh, Brian Thompson has a small role in it. Larry Miller, I guess, has a small role. I don't remember that right now. Um, but overall, I mean, I don't really describe it. It's basically Nick Nolte getting out of jail, then Martin Short's trying to rob a bank, and he's a dummy, doesn't rob the bank right, and everyone thinks that when the bank's getting robbed that Nick Nolte's robbing it because Nick Nolte's at the bank. And uh, it just goes on and on from there. It's really funny. Wow, this is so classic. There's a really interesting part where Martin Short can't, you know, reach where the money's thrown and the, the bank clerk throws the money up in the chandelier and then Martin Short makes the guy try to jump and falls down and shit like that. David Arnott is that guy and he also co-wrote Last Action Hero. Totally crazy. Totally crazy. I didn't know this stuff. He's also a board game enthusiast. He's on a YouTube web series called Game Night. That's fun. Well, anyway, this has been a fun discussion of the movies that were released in January 1989. (laughs) And I hope to talk to uh, this again soon and probably divide February into a couple parts. And see how it goes. I believe that thing was called Game Night. Interested to see what that channel is all about. Game Night Explanation Point. Alright, well that was good. Going over the movies of 1989. So for everyone out there, thank you so much. Can everyone tell me what some of their favorite games are? What they most enjoy? What they um, most think is best from either January 1989 or what other parts of that you don't or you like or you don't like. So that would be great. And for now, this is Mr. Matinee signing off. <laughs>